On this episode of Two Guys on Stuff, we have Lynn Reef, a Fortune 100 executive, mentor, and one of my favorite people on the planet. Life hacks, leadership tips, stories, and fun. It's time for Two Guys on Stuff with Michael Edwards and Tom Tobin. They're executives, entrepreneurs, and great friends. And this is a conversation about values-based, purpose-driven leadership that can transform you, your organization, and the world. Now, let's hear what stuff the guys are talking about this week. Hey, welcome back to Two Guys on Stuff, folks. It's episode 10. Can you believe it, Michael? I can't. We're in double digits, 10 weeks in, and this is so much fun, Tom. It's exciting. I feel like I've lived a lifetime through the through our guests. Uh, right. and, and if people are listening, well, not if, they are listening, and we're starting to get more and more feedback, which is really exciting. But please share these nuggets with your friends. Share them with leaders in your organization or those that that would like to be a leader, because I'm telling you, you won't understand the value until you maybe put a year or two uh, under your belt and then look back and went, gosh, I learned all of that. And so here we are in episode 10 and we are excited to interview Lynn Reef today. I, I know I say this every single week that I'm so excited about a guest, but I'm so excited. I, you know, I've had the great fortune in my career to work for so many great leaders. And Lynn is one of the top that I've ever worked for. When I think about times in my career where uh, I was the most fulfilled, the most satisfied and had the most fun, it was when I was uh, working in Lynn's organization for Lynn. So Lynn, welcome. I'm so excited to, uh, to have you. And even though I've said it the last three times, I really, really mean it. I am excited. This is going to be an amazing episode. Well, Michael and Tom, thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here and hope I have some nuggets to share. I I think you probably do. And one of the places that we like to start, we like to kind of get the audience to to get to know you a little bit. So we've got a question we've asked every uh, guest so far. Tell us something about yourself that most people don't know. Sure. Well, I had the most exciting experience a couple of years ago. The Department of Defense uh, with the government has a program for captains of industry and people in the local communities. It's a liaison program. And they pick 30 individuals to go and actually nest with all branches of the military for about 10 days. and. I can't believe it, but I had the opportunity. I was selected to do that. One of the greatest experiences of my life. Um, I really value our servicemen and women to begin with, but to learn all of the things I learned about leadership and the great people and about service and servant leadership, it was an experience I will never forget. And I got to go to sniper school. So... Oh. Probably the last thing, probably the last thing anyone in the world would ever expect me to do, including myself. But um, just some great people stories, and I'm, I'm grateful to have been able to do that. And I can just picture you rolling in the dirt with a rifle. <laughs> I'm telling you. So, if there's any service members out there that are part of this liaison program that need somebody else to be part of the nest, please let me know. <laughs> I, would have, I would be happy to nest in an F-16 with probably a garbage bag sized barf bag, but you know, that is one of my bucket lists to be, to be in a fighter jet. So that is awesome. And 
I, I appreciate what you're saying about being able to actually embed yourself or nest yourself within um, the, the members of our warrior community and to truly get an idea for what they have to go through. So thanks, man. That's, that is awesome. Yeah. I think one of the most eye-opening things for me is, you know, I was on a, an aircraft carrier and I learned that the um, individuals who I don't want to say drive the boat, but commandeer the vessel, oftentimes you're 23 or 24 years old. And in corporate America, we expect people to be with our companies quite a while before they lead large groups of people. And to see the career pathing that they do in the military and to see these this large span of control with these young people really flipped the script for me on, on how we look at leadership and kind of tie it to age and experience. So one of wow. many ahas that I got during that time. All right. See, the nuggets are falling. Right? It's like manna from heaven. I love it. And, you That's know, great. there are just so many great lessons to learn from our military leaders. In fact, uh, last week we had uh, Don Gleason, who's a retired Air Force colonel, and um, he shared about 50 minutes worth of great leadership lessons from the military. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've got another Air Force colonel coming up. Hopefully we'll keep our fingers crossed, but that is a really cool experience. It was awesome. So Lynn, your career, you know, I think it's important for young people, especially going off what you just said about how it flipped the script for you. I love that terminology too, because we use that in our own corporate culture uh, back in our, in my prior life, it took for work. And we would use that to try and get people to think differently and, and maybe change their mindset. So, you know, you're talking about flipping the script for how we view young people and leadership paths. And, and also too, I think we underestimate younger people's capabilities to take on greater responsibility. So, you know, you've had obviously quite a successful career, but where did it begin? Can you give us just a summary of your educational background and some of those key milestones and career experiences that, that put you where you are today? Sure. I graduated with a degree in radio and television from Kansas State University. I really, really wanted to be a reporter, um, but mostly an investigative journalist. I've always been very curious throughout my life. It's still a theme. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about everything. And I really love kind of the connective tissue between things. And so I really wanted to go be an investigative reporter. I started with a local broadcaster and it was a short-lived career. Um, after I passed out from giving blood at the blood bank on camera during a live remote, I fell into a pothole or two. I've got a pretty good blooper reel. Um, and I enjoyed it. But what I really enjoyed was going to the governor's mansion and asking questions and going and doing follow-up questions. So I really, you know, that that dream of being in front of the TV and being a, a Jane Pauley at the time or someone else, I really wanted to uh, work somewhere in sales and leadership, something I could really sink my teeth into. And uh, so I ended up with my first job after that, working for a telecommunications company in customer experience, which I believe every person who is a leader should have to serve customers personally. And I started out in a call center on the phones. And so later in my career, I was able to tell our employees, I used to do what you do. It's a hard job, but you're taking care of our customers. And I love taking care of customers. 
but uh, my leader uh, got promoted and I'd only been in my role for about a year and a half. And a few people were encouraging me to go and apply for my first supervisor role. And I got that role. And it was very interesting situation where all of a sudden I'm a young person in my career and I'm a supervisor with some people on the team that were in their 40s and 50s. And I have to tell you, I was pretty ill prepared to to be a leader of people at that point in time. Um, especially with my boss having gone. So I, I've learned a lot of lessons and mistakes. But I'll tell you what, I learned them and I turned them around and I tried to be better every role that I went to and uh, ended up working for um, a Fortune 500 uh, telecommunications company and did that for a number of years. And one of our senior VPs decided that he was going to spin off and start a new company. And he was a VP, senior VP of strategy. And I love it because when you have a leader that you've worked for that wants to bring you along with them, I feel very blessed that he asked, do you want to go help me start a company? I wasn't a real person, (laughs) but I'm so glad I did to start something from the beginning is an experience that was probably the most pivotal experience I've ever had is to be an entrepreneur. Absolutely. I hired the first salesperson for a company that only existed on paper and tell to tell the story about what this company could be and hire a team. I'm proud to say um, a number of years later, we were up to 1200 employees. And so to build something like that, to be an entrepreneur, you have to wear so many hats. You're the customer service leader one day. You're working on the financials the next day. And it put me in a position to learn about all pieces of the business and the importance of that connective tissue between what you have to do to serve the customer. And those were vital in my career development. And I'm so lucky to have had that experience. Oh, my gosh. So that so you, it was just a couple of years and you're already at 1,200 employees. Yes. And it was, wow. a, it was a speedy growth company. Um, the interesting there, you work in a corporate America, Fortune 500, and you've got very detailed decision making. As an entrepreneur, we literally were making decisions in the hallway. I know it sounds flip, but it's no red tape. You make decisions, you change on the fly. For anyone to have that entrepreneur experience sometime in their career, I would highly recommend it. It's scary sometimes, but it's very rewarding. A lot of times, you know, um, if we're talking, whether it's interviewing here or just talking in general to somebody, they're in a position or they've arrived at a position where they've gone through a structure that was already existed. So I feel like you have a unique perspective on both being in an executive position prior to retiring and at the same time, having been there from the very beginning. And, you know, part of that entrepreneurial uh, spirit and what I also think about is also that when someone says entrepreneur, I think sacrifice, you know, all of the things that that other people don't see because they see you as an executive several years later with 1200 employees and they think, well, isn't that great? But what they don't see is the sleepless nights and the sacrifices that you had to make. Can you speak to our audience about maybe two of those three things um, and in particular to those that are entrepreneurs or looking at, 
you know, forward to what's going to happen, or they're looking at starting their own business. And maybe in particular, if there were any specific challenges that you had uh, as a woman going into that, as opposed to, and I'm not saying as opposed to men, but if you, you've got a unique perspective that I, I can't have, but I can try and empathize. Right. And as an entrepreneur, I understand what it was like for me. So two or three things that you feel like were unique to you um, just as a woman going through that experience and also um, how to encourage some of our listeners and, but also give them the, the facts. Here's sacrifices that you should expect to make. However you want to answer that. Absolutely. High risk, high reward um, when you're an entrepreneur. And um, there are, it's true on the sleepless nights. It can almost be all consuming because when you are a scrappy startup group, that has venture capital and other things. So there's a lot of pressure there to grow the business um, and, and, and do it right and serve your customers well and employees. I cannot tell you how many evenings I was the last one in our building um, yeah. feeling that pressure of, I can't let anyone down. And especially when you grow that fast, yeah. When, when Lynn and I worked together in Wichita, I'm an early bird. I like to hit the office early. And Lynn was always there before me. And uh, Lynn was always the last one to leave. And, you know, the office didn't close until seven o'clock or so at night. So I hope we can, I hope we can talk about that a little bit later, because that, that's a change that I made um, after you and I worked together, you know, um, I guess the philosophy is be the keeper of the what, not the master of the how. And, I love it. Uh, right. And um, having to relinquish some of that control. But um, it's a lot of it, it's a lot of blood, sweat and tears. There's some sacrifice with your family to support you doing something like this. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it's rewarding when I um, was ready to go do the next thing in my career. I had so many great stories of the different parts of the business that I'd been in and that systems thinking, understanding of how everything kind of fits together um, mm -hmm. for being relatively young in my career. I think at that point in time, I was um, 30 years old. And so, um, you know, fairly young as a VP with a, a startup company. From a, a perspective of women in business, I was lucky to have great leaders who were so um, helping open doors for me and make things easy. But when I worked um, for in emerging technologies for one of the companies, my customer base was convenience stores and grocery stores, which at least at the time were all male owned and male run. I was the first woman um, calling on them that most of them had ever seen. It was difficult to open doors. I was able more from a curiosity perspective to have people come and let me in. Um, it's difficult as a woman sometimes. A lot of the business we would do would be through trade shows. I was one of the only women there, but it was a bunch of cigar lounges and drinking and um, female entertainment. You can re read into that what you wish, but I was there with men at this thing and, you know, you have to hang and still keep your integrity and, and uh, be professional. But I'm glad I went through that process and um, it, it grew my confidence. How did you get through all of that? How did you start to make inroads into a male dominated vertical industry? Do what you say you're going to do. 
find out what that customer needs and deliver and help them be successful. Really simple um, when you're in a sales role and help them grow. And later, um, some of these uh, VPs of these organizations were like, can I write you a a letter um, to help introduce you to your next role? But it's not easy. I've experienced that through many jobs in my career where I was the only female in the group. And um, I don't know. There's a few things I've had to learn. I give a lot of um, tips to other young women, Mm -hmm. um, mostly thinking ahead of time about how they want to show up in a more male-dominated environment and how they can participate. You know, men and women are alike in so many ways, a little bit different. And uh, women have to do a few things very intentionally to make sure they've got a seat at the table. But I think those things are getting a lot better. And I would say, you know, not to flip the script, but men have to do the same thing. And I don't mean from the perspective, you know, kind of culturally men dominating workforces, et cetera. I'm just saying, I think that men nowadays need to be more understanding of who they are within within their organization and be intentional about the way that they communicate. And I know for us, um, it's interesting as you're talking, because as a young therapist, back when I was a young therapist 35 years ago, um, I was in a predominantly female environment. So I had, I always felt like the outsider. And so they would be having all these conversations and the bulk of them, I you know, I wasn't really comfortable being part of, you know, everything from, well, you name it, you know, just because that wasn't my environment. And, and so in that sense, I can empathize, but I think that it is very important um, for us to, for all of us to collectively learn or, or acquire the tools to communicate so that we can have an interaction where each of us is heard and be very intentional about that. Um, and also be be very cautious about the environments that we create and how that impacts people coming into it, you know? So uh, I, it's when you talk about how you had to go into these situations that, you know, where you had to reach a point at which you limited your exposure because it conflicted with how you felt more. I just, I, I cringe at that because I'm thinking, Never in 20 years of private practice did we ever put somebody in that position, male or female. And I almost feel like when you're saying that, I was like, oh, I'm sorry for those for that. But um, but thank you for sharing that, because I think that's what's important is, is you don't you, you focus on the important things and serving your clients and you didn't sacrifice who you were. And I think that's really important. And as leaders, we need to make sure that people have the opportunity to, to grow who they are, not have to protect it. So, well, I think it's important too not to diminish the um, sometimes additional steps or extra mile that sometimes females have to go in the business world and, and obstacles that females might have to overcome that you and I don't have to. And I'll give you a great example. Yeah. So, so my wife and I, uh, we're in business together. Um, matter of fact, she's the, the CEO of the Edwards Group of Texas. And we've got a client um, who the three of us, we, you know, go to lunch and, and are talking about uh, business and the client won't address my wife, who's clearly the expert, because he'll ask me a question. I'll turn to her and ask her the question. So even today, 2000, this is 2000, 2020, but even today, those types of situations exist. And there's, you know, 
oftentimes females do have to go through some extra steps and mm-hmm. uh, prove themselves differently where, uh, you know, you and I just don't have to. And uh, so I just right. wanted to ex- expand on that point. I just didn't want to diminish the fact that sometimes you do have to work a little bit extra hard. No, and, have, and have male allies who are with you. I can't tell you how many times mm-hmm. um, my great um, male, male leaders um, that I've had over the years when that would happen, would turn right back around and have me answer the question and would give me the power and would make sure they pivot and say, Lynn's well-equipped to answer that as our executive of this or that. And so I feel like I've had so much allyship um, from the males that I work with, which is, I know not everyone has that situation, but um, that just speaks volumes when you've got that support. Yeah. Are there one or two other things that you could recommend? Let's say, you know, there's people listening um, and, and have that question. How can we be an ally? One or two nuggets, like how can we reflect that kind of a mentality um, and, and be an ally? One of the things that I always appreciated is that um, was being invited in to participate. Um, now, I won't sit back and wait to be invited. <laughs> If there's something I'm interested in, I will ask. But um, I think just um, teaming uh, with the diverse group. And I know we're talking about women and men, but um, that diversity, the more diverse the teams are and the more you've got allies for all kinds of diversity um, is great. So help people get a seat at the table. One of the things that... um, we've been thinking about, I think, as a country and across all of corporate American businesses over the last few years is diversity and inclusion. And how do we make sure people have a seat at the table? And I always I love the um, the description of what's the difference between diversity and inclusion. And I think of it as it's inviting somebody to the dance is diversity, but dancing with them when you get there. That's uh, I love that. I love that. That's awesome. That's so, awesome. Then you have to think about how do you get people a seat at the table? And a, a few things that um, that I've tried to do or I've had others try to do, too, is invite some of your up and coming um, employees, diverse employees who may not be in a leadership position yet. Invite them to one of your staff meetings. Let them see what kind of leadership discussions? And of course, you have to you have to work that out ahead of time, right? You don't want to you have to understand what your conversation is. But um, you know, we used to do a lot in the community, and we would have tables where we would get to go see these great speakers. Condoleezza Rice is coming to speak, and our company would um, would support it, so we'd have a table at the event. Well, for so many years, all the VPs got to go see Condoleezza Rice, and we're like what would it be like if we would bring some young women of color in our organization and let them sit at the table and experience that and hear these speakers. And so if if you're an ally, think of ways you can help um, bring people and give them exposure to things even before they're a leader. It's got to start that Mm -hmm. early. Sure. Sure. I tell you, um, so I shared a story on Tuesday. I'm I'm taking a group of people, a cohort through John Maxwell's 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth. And one of the principles of John Maxwell's mentorship philosophy is let them see you do it, let them do it while you're watching, and then let them do it. 
And I actually told a Lynn story about that specifically because there was a time where you pulled me into your office and we were on your boss's staff call and I just sat and listened. And then a couple of weeks later, you pulled me into your office and you said, here's what I want you to talk about. And we went through that. And then a couple of weeks later, you had something else to do. And I'm sitting there in your staff call for you. And I don't know if I'm sure that was conscious on your part, but that was just a textbook example of how you mentor people. And I think that uh, in terms of things that stand out about Lynn Reef in my mind, one of them is your mentoring people. I think you probably, if you'd ask anybody who's worked for you in the last uh, several years, who is the best leader you've ever worked for, I would say that uh, you'd probably get a huge number of them that would say, Lynn. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Um, You walk the talk. Mentoring is such a passion for me. I've had some great mentors in my life and you've got to pay it forward. What they say is once you've achieved success, send the elevator for others, you know, to join you. And it's so much fun too, right? That's awesome. I've never heard that. Once you've achieved success, send the elevator for others. Well, we'll feeling that one. Uh, yeah, I was going to say that'll be on the next uh, uh, Edwards Group uh, motivational quote social media post. I know. I feel like what I want to do the other day, I was thinking about this like 10 episodes. So I'm going to go back and re-listen to all the episodes. Not like I haven't listened to them half a dozen times each, but go back and re-listen to them, bullet all these keys. And then it, it's just like, you know, leadership gold. So, you know, just nuggets that people can put into an app. I better stop. I better be quiet because someone's going to do this and make a bazillion dollars or not. But, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's amazing. And, and the consistency with which we see leaders, regardless of what industry, regardless of what level leader after leader has repeatedly talked about service, about mentorship, about lifting up others. So there's this, there's this consistent theme that transcends all types of leaders. And, uh, and it's just really, it's really neat in our role with these podcasts, being able to, to hear that. So Lynn, thank you for sharing that. And especially mentors. And it's like, once you, your analogy was an elevator, but you know, we've always talked about once you reach a certain point, it's, it's no more long. It's no longer about what you're doing, but it's about reaching down and picking other people up and, and bringing them along with you. So last month we had the John Maxwell international, uh, Maxwell certification event and John spoke and he talked about, leadership in terms of bringing people with you, but a leader never crosses the finish line. The leader's always standing there by the finish line, pushing people past them. Um, and, and, you know, that's a, a good mark of a leader and, and a great illustration of uh, mentorship. So along those lines, Lynn, let's talk about your leadership influence. Who has influenced you throughout your career? I've had some great leaders in my career, great mentors, people who took the time to invest in me and and give me good advice. I think sometimes if you've got a a strong performer, it's easy not to give feedback. Just keep on doing the same thing. Keep going. Great job. Great job. And, um, you know, at a certain point in your career, you need to start getting more nuanced feedback because sometimes it's the nuance that makes the difference. I had a leader that uh, told me, you're too sugar-coated. You're polished, you're buttoned up, 
but what I want to see and people like you and want to do things for you. But really what I want to know is where's your passion? What ticks you off? What do you want to like charge over the hill for? You are so even keeled. Um, I want you to think about what it's like to speak from, you know, think of head, heart and gut and start aiming some of your communications more authentically from the heart. And the suggestion was made to go to a class on storytelling. I will tell you in my career, probably the biggest, most impactful thing was me going to training, getting coached and learning how to tell stories. I'll give an example on this. We went through a large organizational change and I knew all of the company talking points. I delivered them eloquently and did everything they told me to do. And we weren't getting buy-in from our people. And the next time after I'd taken some classes and learned how to speak about that, I really changed my approach. And I'll give an example. In my most recent role, I was... Um, I led um, a city for the company, both internally and externally. I was the voice of the company. We do a newsletter every month and, you know, we talk about here's the top performers. And I took this class. And so I started um, making my newsletter starting as an example of last week, I held my father's hand while he passed away. And, and then I went on and it was about, work-life balance and being vulnerable and open to step telling a personal story that kind of helps people think about um, what they need to do. And I, I, and I got so much feedback. I started having people say, this happened to me too. And, you know, that builds a sense of community with people. Um, I got on a business trip and I was, I think it was gate 12A uh, for United. And I was in the airport in Denver and I was sitting there eating dinner and there was this server running around going, I'm the G-man, I'm here to help you. And he was running around, having fun, you know, flipping his towel on the edge of the table. Make, and I'm, I watched all these people respond to him. And so in one of my meetings, I said, I'm going to introduce you to G-Man from gate, you know, 12A in Denver. You can tell your employees, take care of customers, but let's talk to them about G-Man. How can they give a G-Man experience? And you don't have to make these up. These are real stories we have every day. And once I started sharing more of my heart and my value, which allowed me to talk about the values of the company and connecting them, um, the ability to convey that message, get buy-in and build relationships. I can't overstate it. It's a game changer. And um, there are, there's lots of resources that you can use. Um, I work with an organization called Sally Williams, who's phenomenal. And they've got some good things online. I do have to share, I thought this was something unique to me, but the, um, the military nesting that I told you about earlier in the podcast, we had the CEO of a NBA team, a director of X-Men Films, the head of a cruise line. We had a couple local mayors and we would sit around at night. We just talk about leadership. How cool. I'm just a little, you know, telecommunications lady from Omaha, Nebraska, but but we, we started talking about this and to a person, they all said what they were working on was storytelling. I'm like, wow, it's not just a VP. 
it's the head of an NBA team. We're all thinking about the power of storytelling. Mm-hmm. So if, if I can give any nugget today, get good at that. Practice. I love it. And I'll tell you, I saw it firsthand, actually, uh, you know, going through a, a large organizational change with Lynn. And I mean, it was a life changing uh, organizational change where people, um, some had to uproot their lives. And at the end of the conversation, people approached you and said, we get it. It makes sense. And that was because of the relationship that you had with them, the authenticity that you showed, the ability to communicate clearly why it was happening, what was going to happen, all of those things. And it gave people who their lives were, were you know, directly impacted by this change and, and they were OK with it. That was a pretty amazing situation. I also tell that story often. He does. So, you know, oftentimes we have all of these great experiences that we share, um, but we don't go back and look at where something just got blown. Like, you know, we blew it. Um, so I, I, I like to sometimes ask, or one of us will ask, what was your greatest failure? And you don't necessarily have to give very specific details, but has there ever been a time in your leadership experience where you feel like, I just, I blew this. I do. Um, And I'm a believer that if you expect your colleagues and teammates to self-identify where they didn't hit the mark so they can learn from it, you've got to do that. I've told my own teams, hey, I messed this one up. I'm sorry. And here's how I did. So I think, you know, you don't want to make it taboo to fail. Right. Um, And... I, there's an example that I use when I talk to employees. One of my core values is ethics in business. That's very important to me. And I worked for a company um, early on when I was a mid-level manager. And we were looking to get bought. And we were in the sales process. And I worked on the, the group that managed you know, the sales numbers and projections. I was asked by, by my um, executive leader to change some numbers to reflect them more favorably before um, and during this um, courtship process. And I couldn't quite believe I was being asked to do this. And I went back and asked again, just to make sure. And I said, that's not right. We shouldn't count the revenue that way. And they said, do it anyway. And I was aghast. I didn't quite know what to think. It was a newer boss that I had. And I knew they were asking me to do something that wasn't right. Right. I I did as a young leader um, went to that person's boss and just said, I'm being asked to do something I'm not comfortable with. And the story could stop there and I could say, good for me for speaking up. Mm -hmm. I didn't get a warm reception from that person either. um, And I could have done more, but I left the company. In fact, I right. turned my notice in a couple of days later. I use this story um, with my employees when I talk about the importance of doing business right, is that I left that company instead of pursuing it. I left my team behind to have to deal with that. So I removed myself from the situation. I could have done more. And um, so I, that was a failure. I left my team to deal with it. And I, I heard stories after I left. I I think I could have done more as a leader. Um, One of the things I tried a couple of years ago, I led a a large sales organization. And at the end of the year, what do we always do? We celebrate, right? 
let's talk about the top revenue makers, the biggest sales, this and that. And I changed it up a little bit and I said, I want us to come together and let's talk about what were the three lessons learned that we had that didn't go well. We, that was the best meeting we ever had. We spent more time talking about, yeah, but what we, you know, we learned this and let's change this for next year. I'm a big believer in making it comfortable to talk about failure. You've got to do it. Exactly. So I would really encourage every team to take time to assess um, what worked well and what didn't, because then you can just make it better for next time. Exactly. Well, that's the thing is if you don't, what I love about the way that you do that and your belief in helping people be safe when they fail, you know, failure isn't desirable, but it is inevitable. And sooner or later, something's going to get blown. A tire's going to come off the, you know, the car and, and something's going to happen. So if you don't allow people to be able to bring those things forward, number one, you can't fix them and they're going to continue. And number two, if they don't bring them forward, they're going to have to suppress them somehow. So you put people into situations that, you know, they're having to hide things and, you know, you have to be able to address the issues. And if they don't feel comfortable bringing them forward or feel like they're going to be attacked and blamed, and that's the biggest fear, right? People are just, they're afraid that they're going to have to take the blame for this. But when you sit down, you share collectively how it happened and how you can prevent it, then they feel like they're part of the solution. And so I love that approach. I mean, we've never had, I don't think yet in the last nine episodes, we've had people focus a whole lot like this on, on failure. And, uh, and I love the, to the way that you've opened up that story and how we as leaders can speak into our organizations and, and provide places for our staff to be able to come forward with something that was blown. Uh, you know, for me, you know, I look at it from the standpoint of we're going to have a lot of clients that have cars coming through. And if someone messes something up, I want them to be able to take ownership of it. I want them to feel empowered to fix it. And if they're unable to do any of those things to be able to bring them forward to me and say, hey, this is where, you know, we blew it. And, and how do we fix it? Um, and I think that's the key too. when you don't create an environment where people are comfortable making mistakes and learning from those mistakes, you really uh, stifle creativity, you stifle productivity. Uh, you know, I, I worked for an organization where we spent a lot of time proving somebody wrong and pointing fingers and people were absolutely afraid to take risks, to do anything outside of their job description. And I just imagine what this company could be if they created that environment like you created, Lynn, where people uh, were encouraged to make mistakes, learn from your mistakes, fail fast and, and go on down the road. So wonderful learning and a great way to do business. One thing that helped me, you know, after I'd had the entrepreneurial experience and it was high risk and, you know, there were times that it was precipitous on success. And, and um, then when I went back, went back into the corporate world, um, where I was responsible for revenue and making big deals, I had mentioned to my new leader that, hey, I'm, I'm coming off of another role where risk wasn't always good. And he said something very freeing to me. He said, there's not a mistake you're going to make as long as you're ethical, you know, and trying to do the best thing. You're not going to bankrupt the company. So what I'd like you to do is in six months, um, we're going to talk about some decisions that you made. And if you haven't made a decision that didn't quite go well, but you took a risk, he goes, we're going to have a talk about it. It was such a freeing thing because he knew me. He knew I wasn't going to go out and do something crazy. 
man, that let me go in and um, make some of the best deals we ever made for the company with speculative capital that I'm not sure I would have done without him saying that to me. So I appreciate that advice. That's neat. Yeah. Giving people the freedom to make decisions and think independently right. but with the bigger picture in mind. That's awesome. Well, coming off of, of what was your, your biggest failure, let's, lift, let, let's begin to end this on a high note. Uh, because it, what's amazing is you even make your failure be a positive, which is great, right? So I really appreciate that. And uh, if you're going to fail, fail while being ethical. I, I, I love that. So what are, what are you most proud of as a leader? As you look at your career, you know, what are you most proud of as a leader? I said earlier that I'm, a, I love to mentor. I, I love to work with employees on development. And I've had a lot of people modeling what that looks like. So credit to all the great mentors that I've had. I think you forget sometimes as a leader, people really pay attention and um, are taking notes all the time. I had the most unexpected phone call two years ago. An employee who had worked for me maybe eight years before that. This gentleman had a lot of coaching from me and we worked really hard together. He called me back and he said, hey, you know, this is, I'll say Frank. And I just want you to know something. And I go, okay. He goes, I paid it back today. And I had no idea what he was talking about. He knew what I was talking about. And I had helped him on some things. And I said, you're going to have to remind me. And he said, you may have, you, you coached me and you helped me through this situation. And I asked how I could repay you back then. And, and you told me just to pay it forward someday when I was a leader. The fact that eight years later, he remembered that. I'm like, my gosh, that's powerful. I'm not saying that to say what a great leader I was that he would call me back. But it's a humbling reminder that how we serve our people, they're listening, they're remembering, they're, they're trying these things. And so it's just so satisfying to hear the joy that he had in his voice, that he completed a mission and was very important to him. I think that really, it's one of the stories that will always stick out to me. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. And I love seeing employees that I've worked with further their careers and go on um, to be successful I think that is just so satisfying. And if I've been able to help someone through a challenging situation or just talking through it, one other person I spoke to recently, I used to have this, I look back, it was a terrible, ugly patchwork chair in my office, probably pretty cool in the early 2000s. But, um, and we called it the thinking chair. And if someone on my team was having a real challenging thing they were working through, They'd sit in the thinking chair. It's a silly thing, but I'm thinking I, blues um, clues. I, but you know, it was just kind of a symbol of all right, this is our safe bubble here. Let's work through this together. And um, one of the employees I used to work for, I got in touch with on Facebook, and they're like, "Do you know I have a thinking chair now?" I'm like, "Oh, that's so cool." <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I hope it's that's more awesome. stylish than the one I used to have. But it's just, it, it's so much fun. I think the message here is. We all learn from each other. Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't matter if you're the leader or you're working for a leader. We all learn from each other. Michael Edwards, when uh, I had the chance to work with you, you introduced me to the first time you meet with your team and you tell them about your legacy and you tell them what's important to you and your values. You know, you worked for me at that time. But I took that and that's something that I started doing. And so 
I love collaboration. We should always all be lifelong learners from one another, regardless of hierarchy. Mm-hmm. I love that that story. I mean, you talked about stories earlier, and and I love that, Lynn, because I'm thinking about you know it, leadership is similar to parenting sometimes, and you have to really ask yourself, what do you want? people to learn from you because they are watching you and are they going to learn something positive or some something negative and the words that we speak to them, what, what are those words and how are they impacting them? Um, in our practice, we use terminology, uh, words that harm and words that heal. Um, and we use that in the application of evidence-based care. So instead of saying, Oh, you've got the worst shoulder that I've ever seen. And it's completely blown is like, Hey, you've got some orthopedic issues, but we're going to get through this. And so there are words that are encouraging. It doesn't change the condition, but it changes the context. And yeah. so I love the way that the, that you weave that story of how, what we say to people and, and that can change today. People that are listening to this cast today can go begin to be intentional about the words that they use to communicate to their staff because they will have long lasting implications and you never know what that person's story is too, what they brought to work today, what they're dealing with. So thank you. I appreciate it. And you know, one of the standout parts of your story to learn from each other, regardless of your position or title requires a degree of humility and humility is really the foundation of a good leader. And a lot of folks, it takes them a while to figure that out. Uh, I think I was one of those hard headed guys that uh, uh, had a pretty decent ego early in my career. And it wasn't until somebody told me that ego has no place in leadership that it took me a bit to figure out. So thank you for sharing that story. So we like to wrap up with a question. What is the number one takeaway that you want our audience to leave with as you're, as you're thinking through all of the people that you've touched over your career and mentorship and all of those good things, mentoring our audience, what would you like them to leave with? I'd say continue to be a, a lifelong learner. Um, I am um, getting towards the end of my uh, corporate career, but I will tell you that um, people who have longevity in their roles are committed to being lifelong learners, being a student of your industry staying relevant, do the blogs, talk to people about what resources they have, find a mentor. Um, Even as I look upon retirement is this next step. I am uh, committed to being a lifelong learner. In fact, um, I'm excited to say two years ago, I got married and it was in my wedding vows um, with my husband that I wanted a partner who was committed. I don't care how old we are to continuous improvement as human beings. And I think anyone that can make that uh, commitment um, to continue to be better as a human and be a better human, go out and strive to do that. Awesome. I love it. If we stop learning, we stop growing. If we stop growing, we die, right? That's right. That's fantastic. Well, this brings a close uh, our episode, Two Guys on Stuff. Lynn, thank you so much for sharing your experiences and your stories and all of the great examples of, of you touching others and, and making a difference. Yeah, really, you, really appreciate you. And and I did not mean this lightly when I said that you are one of the best leaders that I've ever worked for. The time that I worked for you was the funnest time in my entire career. And that says a lot because I've had a lot of fun. So thank, thank you, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. You should be proud, Lynn. He is paying it forward. I can vouch for that. Uh, my son's coming into the organization that we're creating and Michael's 
leaning into him as a leader and uh, teaching him leadership so that I can be dad. Uh, but he can learn leadership skills as a 22 year old. And so uh, you should be proud. Your, your, your children are doing well. <laughs> well, Michael and Tom, thank you so much for having me on today. I've loved your podcast. I hope everyone will go and listen to every one of them. They are chock full of great information. And I've learned a lot from the discussion from you both today, too. So thank you for having me on. Thank Thank you. you. Join us next week for more listener feedback. If you have a leadership question, a life question, or just a stuff question, send us an email at info at edwardsgrouptx.com. If you'd like to be a guest on Two Guys on Stuff, drop us a line. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Two Guys on Stuff. Tune in next week as Tom and Michael talk more about leadership stuff, life stuff, helpful stuff, and maybe even your stuff. Until then, keep your stories fun.